In March, we started a series called Seven Laws of Spiritual Growth. Uh, we, by no means is this a complete list or the only list. Uh, it's just some thoughts we had that we put down and uh, wanted to bring to your attention. I think that it's been a help. I don't know if it's been a help to you, but it's certainly been a help to me as in studying these different things out. Here's the reminder of the first six because we're at the seventh law tonight. Here's the first six laws that we discussed. If you haven't heard them, they are going to be there on our would be on our YouTube channel. You can catch those up or on our podcast. Num- law number one: He is God, and we are not. That's pretty elemental, isn't it? Uh, yet we tend to uh, usurp our role sometimes and try to take on His role whenever we decide to do some things on our own power and our own strength. But He is God, and we are not. Law number two: God does not need us, but we desperately need Him. The third law was what God demands he supplies. Boy, that was a blessing, uh, studying that out. God demands from us for salvation what we absolutely cannot give. And so he supplies it. That's a blessing. God demands for us, uh, from us for sanctification what we cannot give. So he supplies it, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, for us. And, and what a blessing that, that lesson was. Uh, law number four, what you seek, you find. Law five, active faith releases God's power. Law number six, there is no growth without struggle. That one wasn't so much fun, because uh, there's a lot of truth in that one, isn't there? We struggle, but there's no growth without struggle. You can't download the app of, like, uh, patience. you got to learn it through hard times, amen? So, no growth without struggle. Tonight, I want to look at Romans chapter 8, and we're looking at verse number 31, and I want you to look at it because we're going to do something a little different than normal tonight. Since it's only one verse, we're going to read it together, okay? All together like for the West does in Sunday School Opener. Maybe we'll even have it memorized by the end of the night here. Uh, Read it with me, Romans chapter 8, verse 31. You ready? What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? One more time. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, Who can be against us? The seventh law, what God starts, he finishes. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time we have this evening and the few minutes we have left here. I pray that you would just help this to challenge and stir us to recognize what you're doing in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The final law here brings us back to God as the source of and the end of our faith. What God starts, he finishes. This law gives us hope in hard times. It keeps us going when we would rather quit. It is the law that that, uh, allowed people to be faithful under intense persecution, uh, not not only long ago, but even today. By the way, there's more persecution today than there ever has been at one time. And so it continues just because we don't see it in America so much. Uh, It's the law that gave Moses the strength to reject the treasures in Egypt and for the riches of God. This law reminds us that in the end, uh, everything that we give up for the Lord will not be any sacrifice at all. When life tumbles in around us, when others have given up their faith, we can stand firm in ours because we see that that is not all that there is. The best is yet to come. And uh, we we know that in Hebrews 11, Moses saw that, uh, and Abraham saw that, and all the other heroes that were listed saw that. They said they had an eye out for a city not built by hands and built by God Himself. And so, uh, the, the, when I consider these words then, Romans 8.31 again, What shall we then say to these things? 
If God be for us, who can be against us? This is a question that the people of the world want answered. If there is a God, uh, uh, is there a God, I guess is the first question, and if there is a God, is He for us or against us? Now, when Paul says, if God is for us, he is not making using the word if, as in it's a possibility he is, and maybe he isn't. It's the idea this verse has, that since God is for us, or because God is for us, it is a foregone conclusion. There is no truth more fundamental than this one here. God is for us, brothers and sisters, tonight. God is for us. All that God is, all that God has, and all that God does, He does so on the behalf of His people. Even when it seems uh, that God is against us, uh, if we could lift the veil and uh, look behind it, we'd understand God is for us. How do you know, preacher? All you have to do is take one good look at the old rugged cross and you know that God is for us. He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son uh, to be our payment, uh, the payment for our sin. Now consider tonight the enemies of the people of God. Can the devil stand against us if God is for us? No, he cannot because he's been defeated. Can the world stand against us? No, because the Bible says Jesus has overcome the world. Can the flesh then destroy us? No, because if Christ, in Christ we overcome the flesh. And so we ought to be bold because who dares stand against us if God be for us? I always think of that uh, that. Uh, general that said that to Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War. He says, let's hope that God is on our side. And Lincoln replied, no, no, it's more important that we be on the side of God. And uh, that's really to make sure that God's for us is that we are on the side of the Lord. So, uh, who dares to stand against us if God be for us? I want to look at three truths you can depend on here tonight. The truth of the seventh law depends on several very important attributes of God. Well, first, uh, two little things before we get into the two truths, uh, the three truths. But we see, first of all, that God is faithful. He does not lie. He does not change His essential character. He acts in time and space to ensure that His purposes are carried out. I always love that verse in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of good or peace, and not of evil to give you an expected end. I was pondering that verse a while back, and uh, it raised a question at the end. Expected by who? Let me read it again. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Expected by who? I think it's expected by the Lord, not necessarily by us every time. I mean... how many times has your life took, taken a turn or a twist for the worse or sometimes even for the better? And you find out that God's in control of these things. He perseveres until that which He has ordained has come to pass. There are no performance failures with the Lord. Uh, he is faithful to Himself. He is faithful to His Word. He is faithful to all His creation. In the end, all things in the universe will have been seen to serve God's purpose. It's an amazing thought that God is in control of all these things. No detail will be missed. Nothing will be out of place. There will be no accidents. Even the tragedies of our life somehow fit into God's eternal plan. We don't always understand that, but we do have the promise in God's Word. The fact 
that we don't get that, and the fact we don't understand that, the fact that we sometimes struggle with it, needs to take us back to the first law. God is God, and we are not. I, I don't know how many times maybe you haven't had this happen. Maybe you have. Have you ever had somebody look across the table or a couch or a conversation with you and ask the question, why? Why did God allow this? I remember a young man I was witnessing to, he was 16 years old, and he said, why did, and his mom had died when he was 10. Why did God take my mom? That's a hard question to answer, isn't it? Why did God take my mom? And he was, he was brokenhearted, he was bitter, and, and he was angry at the Lord. Why did God, if God loves me like you say, why did he take my mom? I don't know why he took your mom. God is God, and I'm not, and none of us are. So we don't understand everything sometimes. But God is faithful whether we see it or not. He is faithful whether we believe it or not. Second, we see that God is good. This attribute tells us that God is for us, not against us. He intends to bless us beyond our expectations. He desires even to bless those who rebel against Him. Psalm 119.68 Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. Because God is faithful, because God is good, we can be confident that what God starts, He finishes. Sooner or later, His word will be proved true. His justice will be vindicated. His wisdom will be displayed. His name will be glorified. As we work and wait and hope for that day to come, let me give you these three truths you can depend on. By the way, that testimony is very appropriate for the message even tonight in that what we are looking forward to. You know, if you're waiting for this twisted, sin-sick, sin-cursed world to fix your problems, it's not going to happen. And some of it maybe not happen until... We go to heaven, but we understand that the Lord in the end will be glorified. First truth, all God's promises will eventually be fulfilled. The key word here is eventually. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Joshua chapter 21. Joshua chapter 21. I'm going to read a passage here to you that I think it's important because uh, it can be a, <clears throat> a lesson for us as well. Joshua chapter 21, starting with verse number 43. Joshua 21, 43. And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he had sware to give unto their fathers, and they possessed it and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest round about, according to all that he sware unto their fathers. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their, into their hand. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken and to the house of Israel, listen to these words, all came to pass. What God finishes, He starts. Here's the thing though, when you read just those verses, if you hadn't read anything else in Joshua, we didn't know any history before that, we would think, oh how nice, God handed them over this land. But do you understand if you know the book of Joshua, this rest that they got here only came after long years of warfare. God gave them the land. They still had to fight for it. Just because they were given the land did not mean that everybody, all their opponents and all their oppressors, they just laid down. They had to fight for this land and, and they had to go into battle over and over again. Many died and many much blood was shed for God's promises to come true. It wasn't just as if the Jews claimed the promise and then just moved in with no opposition at all. They had to fight to win what God had promised them. The same is true for you and I. 
We have to fight the good fight, the Bible says. Put on the whole armor of God, Ephesians chapter 6. Be good soldiers for the Lord. You know what that means in the Christian life? There's some hard times. There's some battles. That means being understood sometimes, even by friends, especially by the world. It means facing our fears. Living for Christ means bearing the cross. It means to despise the shame. And Jesus himself said we have to deny ourselves. Uh, Following him when it makes no sense. Putting others before ourselves. Refusing to give in to anger. Forgiving when we'd rather get even. uh, Loving those who despitefully use us. Bearing one another's burdens. Taking on the role of a servant. Being mocked by the world at times. And we could go on and on. Just read the Sermon on the Mount. That's a real humiliating and convicting set of marching orders there. Sometimes the followers of Christ will even be put to death. It's happened and it may happen again. But being a Christian does not exempt you from the problems of life. Have you ever noticed that coming to Christ solves many problems, but it creates some others? <laughs> you know, I, I've dealt with this years over the, over the years in ministry with people that get saved, and they have the idea that when they finally give up their sin and they come to Christ and they give their lives to Him, all their troubles are over. And the the problems that are solved with salvation is things like salvation, forgiveness, removal of of guilt, new desires, new power. It means a home in heaven. It means an abundant life while you live on earth. So it's not a bad deal by any stretch of the imagination. But we do gain some problems too. We're called to serve with imperfect Christians. (laughs) That's not always rewarding. We're called to live by faith. That's not always easy. We're called to deny the desires of the flesh. That's not always fun. But the problems you gain are very small in comparison to the problems that you have in sin. But there are problems nonetheless. Being a Christian, being a follower of Christ, I think we'd all agree, is the best life that there is. Apart from Christ, there is no life at all worth living. And living for Christ, as one person put it, it's a bed of roses. Roses do have thorns, though. There's there's a few thorns in the life that we live for Christ. Amen. There's some difficulties along the way. The good news is that God will keep His promises to you because what God finishes, uh, what God starts, He finishes. Amen. If I can get that right. It's good if I know the law. Amen. Uh, What He did for Israel so long ago here in Joshua, He does for His people today. Number two, the second truth here, the Lord will complete his work in us. Psalm chapter 138, verse 8, The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the words of thine own hands. It is very simple. Because the Lord's love endures forever, His purposes for us will endure forever. If God's love could somehow fail, which it can't, then perhaps we can doubt His purposes. But we can never doubt His purposes being fulfilled in our life because we can't doubt His love. Since His love reflects His eternal character, we can trust God. He will do whatever it takes to accomplish what He wants to accomplish in us. Now turn, if you would, over to Romans chapter 8 and uh, verse number thirty or 29. Romans 8, 29. Now, this is just a couple verses before our text, if you were still open to that. And with ours, where we come to the third truth, the entire work of salvation is guaranteed by God. Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, 
them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Notice the five key words in these two verses here. Foreknow, predestinate, called, justified, glorified. Now, really, if you wanted to look at it, this is kind of a comprehensive process of salvation. It begins in eternity past, and it ends in eternity future. It talks about foreknowledge and predestination. I do not believe that this is what uh, is some people that call themselves Calvinists refer to as God choosing who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. It clearly tells us here how God uh, chooses, though, or, or, or how God knows. It's foreknowledge. God knows all, past, present, and future. So he foreknows. Uh, foreknowledge is simply the fact that God is omniscient. He knows everything from eternity past. He knew who would be saved and who wouldn't be. I do not believe for one minute that he decides someone to go to hell and decides for another person whether to go to heaven or to hell. The Bible, my Bible anyway, says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. My Bible also says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So it is, I think, the, the foreknowledge here. But then it says, what the preacher says, predestined. Well, look at what it says when it's talking about being predestined here. It's not talking about salvation, but sanctification. When we're saved, he preordained for us who are saved to be conformed to the image of his son. Justification ensures your righteous standing before the Lord, but glorification, then he goes on to glorification here, uh, it speaks of your eternity in heaven. Now notice again what the Bible says here, verse number 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them also he called, he also called, and whom he called, and he also justified. We understand justified means, best way to say it is justified never sin. We are, we are absolved of our sin. Whom he justified, then he also glorified. How can that be in the past tense? Are you glorified yet? I'm not glorified. <laughs> uh, as long as we have sin in our life, we aren't glorified. Well, I, I think that glorified here... God speaks of future glorification almost like it's in the past tense because God is so certain of it that it's, all, it's, it's as sure as it's already happened to us. We're glorified. Uh, when in God's mind, past, present, future, they're all the same. God's not uh, tied down by time. And so in some sense that we can't fathom, really, our glorification has already happened. The Bible, another place, talks about how we're already seated with Christ in heaven uh, as good as done. What God has said he's going to do, he's going to do it. Because what God starts, God finishes. Amen. Now let's look at seven ways. I only have a few minutes here, but we'll finish it quick, I promise you. Seven ways to apply the seventh law. Uh, number one, we can be certain of our salvation. 1 John 5.13 says, Those that believe on the name of the Son of God may know that have eternal life. Now in a world of uncertainty, isn't it great to know some things like that? Our salvation is secure. This is vitally important because many people, especially religious people, say things like, I hope I'm going to heaven. But that is never the language of the Bible. The language of the Bible is you can know for a surety. For those who trust Christ, they have, uh, we have a certainty that depends on the promise of God. This allows us to look outward, not inward. Okay, We can be certain of our salvation. Number two, we can be confident of God's purpose for us. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. This is one of the truths that helps us when we're down and discouraged. 
He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Another way of saying that is what God starts, he finishes. And he'll finish you as well uh, when that, as he grows you. Even when we're faithless, he is faithful still. I love this. is one of my favorite verses. We, we go over this in discipleship in detail. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.13. What happens when we doubt? Preacher, what happens when I doubt? Well, here's a good verse. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. You know what that verse really means in its context? Even when you don't think you're saved, you're, God knows you're saved, even if you don't feel saved anymore, as long as you're a child of God. Because uh, sometimes, you know, before you have your coffee, you don't feel saved. You ever been there before? And, uh, you know, it's, you, or you might uh, be having a really bad day. Have you ever had those days where you're in a sour mood, you want to complain, you're just nasty and you don't know why? You don't feel saved? Yet he abideth faithful. Hallelujah. I'm glad my salvation doesn't depend on me. It depends on him. Number three, we can have comfort in the midst of bad circumstances. Things happen, both good and bad. Many times we can't understand the big picture. Things may not be so good for you right now in your life. But can I remind you what God starts, he finishes. God will be glorified in the end, even though at times it may seem confusing nonetheless. I love this verse when Paul says, "For we look, look at verse, uh, it's in 28, verse 28. And we know, not we think, not we hope, not we dream. The Bible says, for we know, or and we know. Then he goes on that all Things, not some things, not most things, not even things that make sense to us, but all things. We know all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to His purpose. That's a, that's a lot of verse right there. Most of us know it by heart, and we have a real hard time living it because uh, it's, it's hard to recognize that sometimes. By the way, that's one of those verses it's easy to give people when they're in trouble. <laughs> It's a lot harder for us to see it when we're in trouble, all right? In the end, all will be well and God will be glorified. What God starts, he finishes. Number four, we can remain calm when the world is in turmoil. How do you stay in balance as a Christian in a world this crazy? I mean, keep your news off is one way to do it, amen? But, I mean, if you know what's going on and you see all that's happening, Psalm 46, a great chapter, points to a God who's our refuge and our strength. A very present help in time of trouble. That word help means he will be there for us whatever we need, whenever we need it. He's the supernatural source of our strength. Chapter 46, verse 2 says, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. I mean, that's some extreme language. Wouldn't you be worried if you saw the earth go off and the mountains be moved into the sea? It's a pretty... Pretty extreme picture there. It says, we will not fear. What do believers do in days of uncertainty? He tells us in verse 10, again, we're still in Psalm 46, be still, be still, and know that I am God. That sounds kind of like the first law. I am God, you are not. That's what we do in times of uncertainty. Be still. Those who know God, those who know He is God, can remain calm under tremendous threat. Verse 11 goes on, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Our God 
is in control. We can be still and know that God is there. <laughs> you know, when elections get messed up, the wrong person gets in, when abortion gets legalized, when illegal, illegal aliens get a free pass, all those things that really bother us, we can be still and know that God is still God. When God, what God starts, He finishes. Next. We can have hope when our progress seems slow. You ever feel like you're not making any spiritual progress? You overcome a sin today and then commit the same sin tomorrow? Or you overcome a sin today and commit four new sins tomorrow? Uh, you know, we're talking about going three steps forward, two steps back. Our answer is that, again, we go back to previous law, that good things come through struggle. We learn through struggle, and struggle doesn't always feel like growth, does it? Struggle sometimes feels like failure, but growth only comes through struggle. We generally do not appreciate victories that come at no cost. What we fight for, we value higher. And even our defeats and our setbacks can teach us to rely on the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, And the very God of peace sanctify you, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? tells us in verse 24, Faithful is he that calleth you, and who also will do it. You know what that kind of sounds like? What God starts, he finishes. What God starts, he finishes. Our hope rests in the Lord. He called us. He is faithful, and he will do it. Next, we can encourage others who are faltering. Our growth, through our growth, we ought to be helping others. Hebrews 10.24, and let us consider one another to provoke us unto love and to good works. Where do we do this? Where do we go to encourage other believers in the Lord? The idea is the local church, amen? I try. I probably never get through a message without uh, emphasizing at some point the local church. It's important for us, not forsaking the assembling ourselves together as a matter of some is, but exhorting one another. Where do you do that? At the local church. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. How do you do that? By a kind word. By a phone call. Sending a note to somebody. Hanging out after the service for a little bit. And we've got, we even went to the trouble of enlarging our foyer. Give you room to stand around and exhort one another. And, can, and provoke one another to good love and to good works. Don't be a Lone Ranger Christian. Lone Ranger Christians get into trouble. We talked about that last week with Samson. Samson was a lone ranger Christian and he got himself into bad trouble. You can encourage other believers by showing up on Sunday morning instead of staying in bed. In these latter days, let's make sure we come together and encourage each other. By the way, aren't you encouraged uh, to see the, the crowds we've had Sunday mornings and the people coming? And, and by the way, our Sunday night growing as well? That is encouraging to see other Christians to come together uh, for the Lord. Uh, let's all just put faith and trust in the fact that what God finish or what God starts, He's going to finish. We don't always know how. We certainly don't always feel like it's happening at the current time. But we can have faith and trust that what God starts, uh, He most certainly will finish. So those, uh, hopefully, those laws will be a help to you, and uh, were a help to you as we go through. And uh, I certainly learned a lot in, in going through them myself. But uh, simple things, amen, nothing earth-shattering. I know nobody walked out on a Sunday night thinking, wow, that was deep. It wasn't. Pretty simple stuff. 
is good for us to remember. Uh, when I was looking at that first one, I was almost uh, thinking, man, this is, this is too simple. But yet, think about how many times we get in trouble in our life when we take his place. We try to be him or do his job for him. All we, if we remember the simple fact, God is God and we're not, he'll help us in all these things. But I'm grateful for this last one. What God starts, he'll finish. How about that song, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, but he's still working on me. And I'm grateful for that. Father, we thank you for the time.